Welcome to the Inspiring Sustainability podcast recording and also live Periscope that I'm doing with Bernie here. Um, So Bernie, if you'd just like to introduce yourself, it's great to uh, be meeting you today. I'm Bernie Balkan. My main interest at the moment is in solar, uh, solar energy in emerging markets. So in Africa, in the Middle East, in India, places of that sort. But I have a lot of different interests. I work on many different things. So. Right. So we'll, we'll get into all of those soon. Um, so uh, uh, we will be today uh, looking at uh, game changes, as is the theme that we're working with at the moment. And uh, because for me, uh, Adam Woodall uh, from the Inspiring Sustainability podcast series, I'm really interested in how we are creating a different world and uh, some of that is through the social programs and also some of it is through the environmental and technolo- technology uh, and this is that side is uh, primarily what I think we'll be talking about Bernie but also there's some aspects of the social which I think uh, we'll be talking about and in terms of the headlines uh, that you'll be getting from today's podcast and uh, live Periscope, um, we'll get to find a little bit about uh, Bernie's fascinating career, including his, his book that he's just launched, Crash Course. Um, looking at solar and how the, the revolution is happening in that, particularly about how we uh, work in sub-Saharan Africa for the uh, over half a billion people who don't have electricity. Um, looking at smart grids and what does that really mean for the developed world. And 5G telecoms, which when I heard Bernie talk about that, I was like, wow, I've just got to have my head around 4G. So watch out for that one. If we've got time, uh, we'll also talk about water as well. Um, But just for people's expectations, we'll be uh, with you until about uh, 5 p.m. London time. And uh, for those listening on the podcast recording, that's about another 25 minutes or so. And so, uh, so Bernie, yeah, tell me more about uh, your career. All right, so I've uh, had three careers. I'm 14 years into my third career. I was an academic for about 18 years. I'm, my degrees are in chemistry, mm-hmm. did all the normal things, published papers, taught students, lots of them in New York City. Uh, then I, without any experience at all, I went to work in industry for a big company, right. uh, a company that was bought by BP, mm-hmm. uh, and I actually worked for BP uh, for 18 years, right? And my last, I had a lot of different jobs as one does, but mostly on the technology side. Yeah. My last job was chief scientist at BP, right? Uh, but I was also at one point vice president of strategic environmental affairs hmm. for BP, um, which meant uh, I helped formulate BP's uh, approach to climate change and to clean fuels. Uh, and what we could do, and which was a break with the rest of the oil and gas mm. industry mm. at the time. Uh, this was in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, and then I left BP at the end of 2003, and I've turned my attention to a lot of other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned my book, Crash Course. Uh, one of the things I did when I was in BP is I watched leadership and tried to learn from it, learn mm-hmm. from the good and learn from the bad. Yeah. Uh, and I've written down these observations in a book called Crash Course, One Year to Become a Great Leader of a Great Company. It's the subtitle. It's published by White Fox and you can get it on Amazon. Right. Uh, and it is about 
my ideas of, of leadership and how you can learn these in a short period of time. But another thing I did when I left BP was uh, I was asked to become a member of the UK Sustainable Development Commission, yeah. led by Jonathan Parrott, um, and with a group of very stimulating colleagues. Mm. So UK government, we used to call ourselves a critical friend mm-hmm. to the UK government. Uh, and from that, I, I was commissioner for energy and transport. We did a lot of interesting things, but I really became deeply imbued with what sustainability, what sustainable development meant, mm. uh, and that it was not just about environmental stuff, mm-hmm. but it, although it certainly is about living within environmental limits, it is about uh, ensuring a fair economy, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. strong and fair economy, but it's promoting a healthy and just society. It is about ensuring good governance, um, which is relevant to some of the things we'll talk about in Africa. And it's about using sound science responsibly, mm. Um, mm. something which has uh, slipped into a more or less of a crisis situation, I think, recently. But all of those things are pillars of sustainable development. Uh, and I'm really curious about that because the, the, something if we can uh, return to a, a little bit is that, that the crisis around science because actually you've got things like science-based targets which uh, around uh, carbon which actually a lot of big organisations are getting very enthusiastic about but then you have certain members of uh, certain political parties especially in America who are doubting the science uh, even though it's, it's very clear and it's be interesting for us to uh, see how that maybe is impacting on things. Yeah, so maybe we can return to it. But for me, a lot about the using sound science responsibly mm. principle is about ensuring that we understand and practice the precautionary principle. Mm. Uh, so tell me a little, just because actually I think that's interesting. People might not have heard of that. What's the precautionary principle? Well, when uh, you're when there's some evidence some probability that something is not going to be safe, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. then we have to either justify it, that the reward will be worth the risk, mm. or we err on the side of caution, right? and we don't uh, do something, we look for alternatives. Yeah. Uh, and the precautionary principle is a way of taking science into decision making with a sustainable development focus. Yeah, definitely. And I think the uh, that's something that I've been interested in since I was in, uh, first got into sustainability myself and uh, I first became really aware of it in the late 80s, early 90s. And uh, then actually because governments and businesses weren't really paying attention to it, mm-hmm. uh, by the time I reached the peak of my interest in the mid-90s, I actually had my kind of wilderness years. Um, and for 10 years, didn't really pay much attention to sustainability. But then back in 2006, everything started to kind of like flow with uh, this Stern report, uh, MS launching its plan A, things like that. And it's been, uh, it's been a very interesting uh, journey since then. But something that actually I think is, is really picking up pace is actually some of the, the, the particular topic areas that we're talking right. about. And why I was interested in talking about these potential game-changing areas. So that first one, if you, uh, it's interesting that you picked that one as the first one. So well, absolutely. I think today, uh, if you want to talk about what is going to change in the world uh, and what could make the biggest change 
not just in terms of charging your phone or even putting lights in places, but a huge social change mm. for the world. It is the fact that solar power today is the cheapest form of electricity. Mm. The cheapest form of electricity for probably two-thirds of the land area of the planet. Yeah, that's huge. Uh, now, of course, we price electricity in different ways and so on. But this was not true six years ago. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Ten years ago, it was not even sure that it would ever be true. Mm. And the prices have fallen so much. Cost of doing solar has fallen so much. And the quality of the technology has improved so much. And this ability to roll it out quickly, that uh, this is the most revolutionary thing that's going on mm. in energy in the mm. world today. Now, in sub-Saharan Africa, we have 650 million people, 650 million who have no electricity. Mm -hmm. I've been to cities in, for example, northern Nigeria, cities of over a million people mm -hmm. where the only electricity is provided by diesel generators. Right. Where uh, if you're running a, a restaurant or a food store, mm -hmm. At night, when you close, you have to take all the, you have no refrigeration. Wow. So you have to take all your food to a central place where somebody has a, a generator running on diesel and hope that they can store it for you overnight and then bring it back. Wow. There's no grid. Yeah. Uh, and solar can change all of this. Mm -hmm. uh, in Bangladesh, you have a lot of people living with. They have a, a grid, grid electricity, but it's only up 30% of the time. Mm. Solar can be there for them all the time. You have schools. In Nigeria, there are 1,700 elementary schools, mm -hmm. primary schools, with no electricity. Just think about children being educated for society today without electricity. Mm. And all of this can be changed and it can be rolled out quickly. And that's what we're trying to do. And it is a result of mass manufacturing and a lot of development of power electronics mm -hmm. that has been going on over the years that makes it easy to do these sorts of things. Uh, and you, the, an amazing thing about solar, and I don't want to bang on about it for the whole half hour, amazing thing about solar is that it works at every scale. Mm -hmm. So we have you can have a little pocket calculator with a little strip that's powered by solar or a radio that's solar powered mm. that you can hold in your hand. Yeah. And you can go from that to solar panels on a roof, powering a school or a clinic or your home, and on to fields. And in Africa, you have a lot of land that's subpar for agriculture that isn't being used mm. for agriculture. Can be covered with solar panels and can, with a small grid, mm. can power a community or a city. Uh, and there is no other technology in to produce electricity that works at every scale like that. That's interesting. I'm not. I'd not actually uh, thought a lot about uh, solar, but I've not thought about the fact that, as you say, you can everything from a calculator to like uh, hundred megawatts. Yeah, vast desert-based ones, right. and. And I think actually something that just clicked with me is that I see that there's been quite a sort of potential disruption, not just in the area of uh, renewables and particularly solar, 
But actually, other areas like uh, sort of waste and recycling around circular economy and things like that. And something I'd be curious as to your thoughts on is, is part of the reason why people are actually opening their minds to, in other areas of sustainability in its broadest sense, is because they're seeing, actually, well, it's all happening in renewables. So it's showing the possible that things can happen very rapidly. Um, and that's something I've just thought about and just be interested as to your thoughts on that. Yeah, so, yeah, a lot of things are happening rapidly. Um, in a way, with solar, we had a long buildup. Mm, true. Uh, and very little capacity to manufacture. Mm-hmm. Uh, solar used to depend on the silicon from chips or uh, electronic chips. Mm. The, the stuff that, that was wasted would be made into solar panels. Mm. Now there's a vac- the solar panel uh, silicon is what drives the industry overall. Yeah. Uh, and it really required mass manufacturing. Mm. Wind power has come down tremendously in price. Mm. Offshore wind has taken 30% out of its cost in the last four years. Mm. Uh, And that is about thinking about how this is going to work. Mm. So yes, maybe people are seeing change. Um, What they don't see is the long buildup behind Mm. the change, perhaps. But then once it happens, uh, it really can happen quite quickly. Yeah, it's quite like I remember when I was a kid that uh, used to there'd be pop stars who would be not the reality TV ones. I'm showing my age here a bit here that they uh, they suddenly burst onto the into the pop charts and get onto uh, I'm really showing my age top of the pops and um, and they'd be like an overnight sensation. When in fact they've been gigging for ten right, years. Sure. Um, and it's a little bit that it's they're like Maybe. a quiet revolution, building, yes. building, building, and then suddenly it changes because of certain factors. I think the other thing that we still don't understand well enough is the interaction between technology and behavior change. Mm. Uh, So there was an old argument in the sustainable development community about will change happen? Will we deal with problems like climate change and poverty and so on through technology or through behavior change? Mm wrong argument. Mm. Technology enables behavior change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when people want to change, when they're motivated to change, they will take up technologies. These things work together. It's not an either or. And once you get going, it can happen quickly. But we really don't understand this. So people were saying, oh, well, you know, uh, what will motivate people to not use plastic bags? Mm. Well, and Amazingly, in the UK, putting a five pence, a tiny amount of money, people throw away five pence in a day. They keep their pennies in a jar. Uh, Five pence charge has resulted in a 90% reduction in the request for plastic bags in supermarkets. Everybody decided to carry a bag. Nobody uh, predicted this. We don't understand this well enough yet. Mm. It's interesting, just actually, so that's something that I use as an example. Um, and I think there's two things going on. One, that there was this uh, kind of pop star build up to it for 10 years, right. because actually there was a lot of communication about that you should about use plastic, yeah. uh, plastic, you shouldn't use plastic bags and we'll use plastic bags. But, and everybody had an excuse though, or most people had an excuse. Right. 
But then the thing was, is I think it's this one of the things that I'm really interested in is about people, if you ask them, do you believe it's the right thing to use bags for life? They go, yes. Do you use bags for life? Well, it's really difficult. Make excuses. But then you give them the action-based sort of guidance. Here's five pence. Do you want to spend it or not? And then they get it. And I think one of the things, Pat, that uh, I'm actually planning to write a book about this next year, um, is um, which comes first, belief or action? And my experience and also the uh, evidence is that action is what generally creates belief. Whereas a lot of people in the sustainability community, because we are believers, um, we tend to come from the perspective that sure. you need to create belief first, and then that will create action. Uh, which you did in us, but not necessarily yeah. else. Okay, let's talk about one or two other game changers mm. because we've spent a lot of time yes, on solar yes, and other yes. things. Because, uh, as you threatened, we could spend yeah. quite a bit. But let me turn to something uh, which is, I think, uh, not so well, uh, not so much talked about these mm. days and not so well understood, which is 5G telecoms. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've all heard of 3G years ago, now on your phone uh, and all the adverts it says 4G. Auctions have taken place in various countries yeah. to give what we call spectrum, yeah. that is the amount, the uh, area, uh, the frequencies that are used for the telecoms, uh, for what is called 5G. Yeah. And one of the things I've learned uh, in looking at this recently is that 5G, it's not like all the other Gs. Right. The, the amount of bandwidth, the speed, uh, that you can communicate the lack of latency that is uh, if I'm gaming mm. Mm. if I uh, fire a gun here somebody in Shanghai uh, thousands and thousands of miles away that if, if we're both on 5G we'll see this bullet coming at him in real time right okay now what does that open up I don't even know all the things that it opens up, mm. uh, but certainly we can have a million chemical sensors mm. in an area around a, an industrial site. Mm -hmm. Today we can cope with a thousand or maybe a hundred to a thousand. We can have a million and they can be dead cheap mm. uh, all over the place. And we can be processing all that data all the time. Uh, we can have uh, hotspots, 5G hotspots, where huge amounts of uh, data are being captured or images, whatever. So what I've been saying is 5G is not going to be rolled out mm -hmm. for another three to five years, depending on where you are. Mm -hmm. Now is the time for venture capitalists Mm. to be looking at what are the clean tech applications mm. of 5G telecoms, funding those so that they are ready to take advantage of this when it happens. Yeah. That's where the smart money is going to go. Mm. Uh, and I think it can revolutionize. Yes, there's going to be gaming. Yes, there's going to be ability of lots of people to video a uh, concert and so on. But let's look at things that can really make changes in our society. Mm. So I think that's something that's worth uh, looking at now. And the third thing I want to talk about today, because we don't have too much time, is water technologies. Mm -hmm. We probably don't spend enough time on water. We all know that fresh water is precious, more in some places than in others. Mm. 
obviously if you're in the Middle East uh, and you're getting all your water from desalinated water this is uh, uh, the most expensive water there is mm. uh, so every drop that you make and every drop that you leak mm-hmm. or waste mm. is crucial in the UK we have quite high leakage rates about 20 to 25 percent of our fresh water that's in the water distribution system gets leaked away mm. uh, but our reservoirs are normally pretty full mm. except for occasional droughts so we don't worry about it too much we worry but not too much mm. but if you're leaking water in Saudi Arabia it's a major problem so there are a number of opportunities in water I focus on three of them right first are there cheaper ways innovative ways to do desalination yeah there are many places in the world where desalinate taking seawater and turning it into fresh water is the only way we're going to be able to live and increase population in those areas what limits the ability to live in certain parts of the world the ways we're doing it are pretty old Mm. and have been around for a long time either boiling it Mm -hmm. Effectively, distillation or what's called reverse osmosis. Right. There are a few new ideas around, but still an opportunity for breakthroughs. Mm. Second area is agricultural water efficiency. Mm-hmm. Depending on where you are, 85 to 95 percent of the water, fresh water, is used for agriculture. Mm. And it's not always used that efficiently. Yeah. So this is not just about drip irrigation and so on there may be all kinds of other things example uh, coating seeds uh, with a coating that retains water and releases it when the seed starts to grow Mm -hmm. when the seed starts to germinate the water that's in the coating on the seed Mm -hmm. is released you're not irrigating at all you actually store the water up there things of this sort I think there are probably a hundred ideas of that sort. Third area is waste. And this goes not just for sewage, Mm. but uh, probably other areas as well. Today, sewage, wastewater treatment of wastewater is a cost. Mm -hmm. Every water company in the EU, in the US, in Japan, and so on, has to treat the sewage mm-hmm. before the water can be re-discharged into a stream or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, are there ways to turn waste from a cost center to a profit center? Mm-hmm. Are there things that we can profitably do with waste? Mm-hmm. Whether it's uh, generating energy from some of it, whether it's producing fertilizers because there's a lot of nitrates in waste Mm. and that's one of the things and phosphates and those are one of the things that you have to control before you can discharge the water Mm. but those are also elements of fertilizers Mm. so why be making at great cost energy costs environmental costs new fertilizers when we have fertilizing material that can be uh, made from from sewage waste Mm. I think there are a lot of ideas of that sort around, and we should be uh, working on them. Yeah, definitely. So, with with these areas, what's the on a, on week to week? What's uh, obviously you're aware of all these. I'd be impressed if you're actually uh, 
dealing with all of them on a day, week to week basis. What's your main kind of uh, work? Well, I, I'm involved with companies that are doing so- solar in India, mm-hmm. in Saudi Arabia, and in Nigeria. Right. We're trying to. Yeah. Sometimes we're limited by events mm-hmm. uh, in these countries. Sometimes the quality of governance is such that it's hard to get it done. But I still think it's worthwhile. So I spend a good chunk of my time every week on solar project development uh, with one or another of these companies. Uh, I also uh, try to help companies of all sorts uh, be better in terms of how they work with their employees, how they approach their markets and so on. And that's based around my book, Crash Course. So I work with a small group of consultants, leadership consultants called Refresh Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, Refresh, uh, which is spelled uh, with a S-C-H at the end, uh, Refresh uh, tries to work with companies, large companies as well as small companies, right. uh, to say, how do we affect this merger? How do we get everybody aligned behind what we, what we, the company wants to do? How can we just do things better? So those are the sorts of things I spend time on. I'm a vice president of something called the Energy Institute here and try to uh, make them successful and work with them and give my perspectives. Great. Now, I mean, um, I certainly enjoyed doing a bit of background research before I came along. Mm. um, uh, When you talked about it, you said actually the book, The Crash Course, is actually something that is designed, and I think actually I, I, I will probably do this myself, to be read on a Monday morning every single week for a year for you because it's 52 chapters you told me and so then and then reflect on it each week and I like that sort of management sort of process I'm already doing something like similar to that um, so that I think it'll fit quite well with Good. it um, so this has been uh, it's it's done what I'd hoped it to do after we'd, we'd met a, a few weeks ago uh, which has given a, a really great highlight of just some of the game changers and actually I know that you, you're aware of quite a few other game changers, which unfortunately, due to the time restrictions, we don't have time to talk about today. Um, so if people want to connect with you or follow your what you're talking about, uh, there's the Crash Course, which you can find on Amazon. Yep. And then what's your Twitter handle? At Balkan Bernie. And it may be B-U-L-K-I-N-B-E-R-N-I-E. Right, Vulcan Bernie. And I'm on LinkedIn, of course, and LinkedIn. Facebook. You can find me every place. Great, wonderful. And I have a little web page. You can find me there as well. Great stuff. And um, and also, you can find me, Adam Woodhull, uh, on the same platform. It's at Adam Woodhull, Twitter, Adam Woodhull, LinkedIn, etc. If you want to find out more about uh, what's behind this podcast series and the, the, the Periscope that we're doing as a live recording, um, you can go to inspiring-sustainability.com. There's lots of information there, blogs, articles, etc., so uh, for today, I'd like to thank uh, the, the, the listeners and viewers for their time in uh, listening to this, but particularly, obviously, Bernie, thank you so much for your uh, wisdom and uh, years of expertise, and uh, hopefully that's inspired some people, and maybe uh, if there's a venture capitalist uh, watching or listening, you should be getting into 5G and thinking about how you do it with clean tech. Uh, So I certainly will be uh, having a look at that myself. So thank you. Thank you.